So Matthew chapter 5, we are going to read the first 16 verses. It says, "And, And seeing the multitudes, Jesus, or he, went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs, again, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. You don't feel blessed when I read the rest of this. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And he closes out this small section. It's one big teaching, but he kind of encapsulates it with verses 13 through 16. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. And again, this infamous verse, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So this is the infamous (coughs) section called the Beatitudes in the Scripture. Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, is the infamous section that we're in right now where we're starting, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. Not sure what you've heard of it or what you know of it. Incredible teaching. Through these next three chapters, Matthew, by the Holy Spirit, presents from the entrance to the kingdom here on earth to the final consummation of the kingdom in the last judgment. So from chapter 5... To chapter 7, you're basically going to see what the life of the believer and the unbeliever, in some regard, is going to look like from the moment you get saved, right? Because, I don't know if you guys understand this, the day you get saved, the, the kingdom life, it starts now inside your heart. It's not you get saved and live however you want because heaven's in front of you and it doesn't really matter. You get saved and the Spirit of God comes and takes up residence in you. And the things that are of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is told, we're told that will reveal them to us. So God in his kingdom, because Jesus was, when he was walking on the earth, he's telling people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The only reason there is a kingdom is because there's a king and the king is Jesus. Right? And so when we get saved, the Holy Spirit, who's the spirit of promise comes up and takes up residence in us, which is the spirit of the king. It's God himself then that begins residence inside of us. So Matthew, from chapter 5 all the way to the end of chapter 7, is going to build for you and I what that life looks like. That's why I told you we kind of we got, we got fast through chapter 1 to chapter 4, because this is exciting territory. 
especially the days that we live. How are we supposed to live? What is it supposed to look like? What is our attitude supposed to be like in the world? It's not I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, and I don't care what happens to you. You can go to hell for all I care. That's not fair. Imagine if the people who are supposed to minister to you, minister to me in my beaten, broke-up state, wouldn't have done that. Couldn't imagine. So Matthew, from chapter 5 to chapter 7, he's going to build what your life looks like, which is right here. From the, in the entrance of the kingdom, these blessed becauses is what they are. Blessed is, and the word for is because. So the blessed, this pronouncement of blessing from the king, and because of it, what is the reason of it? This is the entrance of the kingdom. These are the things to kind of lay hold of as we go forward here. If this is this way, then you should be thankful because this is the reason. He doesn't say, you know, where we get to here in, in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit because they prove to everybody else they're better. That's what it says. And we're going to look at what that says. So Matthew in these three chapters is going to take you from the entrance in the kingdom here and now to the final consummation of the kingdom in the last judgment. And what happens with those who are on the outside and what happens in the final judgment, which should drive us because we don't know when that day is. Right? We don't know when the trumpet's going to blow. It should cause us to live in anticipation, waiting on truth. So by this point, chapter 5, verse 1, the 12 apostles had already been appointed by Jesus. Jesus' public ministry had caught you know, wildfire like nobody's business. And there were other disciples, not his apostles, but there's other disciples following him at this point. This is about 12 to 18 months into Jesus' public ministry. So he didn't just come out into the ministry. Some people say this is the kind of the, the first of Jesus' teachings because of where Matthew places it in Matthew's gospel in chapter 5. It's not true. You do dates and times in relationship to John being in prison. This is 12 to 18 months into the ministry of Jesus. Everybody knows him at this point. There's no secret Jesus going on. He's out performing miracles, preaching the sermons in these places in which we have recorded this one for us. Fame of him, his works, his disciples, the apostles, that has already spread. That's what's happening here. Verse 1 says, seeing the multitudes. That's what it says, <laughs> seeing the multitudes. So let's read it. Verse 1 says, and seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up to a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. So there was a really large gathering that had been following Jesus by this point. But there's a smaller crowd, and we'll see this when he says, he, so he sees the multitude but teaches the disciples. Right? You could sit in a crowd of 10,000 people who's following. Right? So at this point, there's a gathering that had been following, but a smaller crowd in the midst of them, which were disciples of his along with the apostles. And it's important to note, the message that we're going to read here was for the disciples and the apostles. It was for those who had already said, hey, you know what? I never heard a teacher like this before. I'm hearing things. Forgiveness and new kingdom and new power. Being washed clean. I'm going I'm to follow him. And so the message that you have here is aimed primarily at the disciples of Christ. Secondarily, the crowd's going to hear, right? So the message was aimed at the disciples. The crowd who was following is secondary. And Jesus is laying out first to his followers 
what this blessed life will look like. And in verses 13 to 16 that we read, he really wraps it up as to why, right? It's not for you to run around and tell people how blessed you are and make them jealous. It's not for you to say, yeah, well, I'm verses 3, 6, and 7. Those are my blessednesses, right? That's not the point at all. He actually says the whole reason is you alone are the light of the world. He's telling his disciples, this is your life. This is the freedom that you have. In, in, in the midst of difficulty, yet you have a blessed, the, the word, the, the blessedness there is a joy that's untouchable. You have this thing. You want to know the reason? And he, and he closes it out in verses 13 to 16. And again, we're just building a picture here. He says, because you alone are the light of the world. You, me. The <laughs> Aaron and I were praying before. I said, Lord, I don't. You asked us to represent you in the earth. That's crazy. Who could, who could, who would, I, I would never, you ever hear like somebody say, life beyond your wildest dreams? Right? You think that means a brand new car and a nice condo? <laughs> How about you get to be the representative of the king of the universe who spoke and created everything? What in the world? But he's saying that, you alone, the disciples. There's a greater crowd there listening. You, whoever you are, I don't know who you are. You. You're the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And it literally is in counter-distinction to every other form of light, to every other style of salt. You know what it is. You hear all kinds of this thing and that thing in regards to church and Jesus and, you know, hippie, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, like all this other who Jesus is and what God is. God is love. Yes, but he defined it by brutalizing his son on the cross to pay for your sin. That's what he did. And so the whole point of what we're getting ready to launch into in, in these, these beatitudes, as it were, is to understand that the whole objective in relationship to God with the disciple is because you are the representative when he departed. Holy Spirit takes up residence. Now you and me, praise God, we get to be the light of the world. Doesn't seem like that some days for me. Doesn't feel like that. But because the king pronounced that judgment, it is what it is, right? You're the salt. You add flavor and preservation to people. Most people in my life, they have just a, a, a teaspoon of mic, and they're done with me for two weeks. <laughs> for real. So that's what Jesus is laying out there. We get into this blessed life because of that. Nine times as we read through those verses does he say, Jesus tells them, you're blessed. And then he says, for, so it says, which we will be tonight, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. He's saying, you're blessed because this is how you have the kingdom, right? The word blessed has the idea of in the kingdom now, right? It's not you're going to be blessed. It's not blessed future tense. It means now and into eternity. I need to hear that some days. I'm like, Lord, I know you're going to get me there. I just, <laughs> why did we take the scenic road? You know what I mean? One foul swoop, take me out, you know, I'm there. But it literally means that you're blessed and the idea is in the kingdom now here, and unto eternity. 
the word blessed there because Jesus is the one saying it. It's literally a judgment pronounced upon the people that it includes that they are very fortunate for this. So it's the king, like when Jesus says, woe unto you, Bethsaida, that's a judgment pronounced by the king, not a good one. You want blessed, not woe. Let's, we get that? Blessed, no woe. If my kids hear, whoa, run for them hills, right? But it's literally a judgment pronounced upon the people it includes. So if we read through here, as we study through these Beatitudes, if you're like, man, praise God, I think I find myself there. Amen. That's a good thing. That means that the judge or the king has pronounced a judgment or decree over you that you should be blessed because of it. There's no greater blessing. You know, somebody give you a tip. You did a good job. Here you go. Well, you could probably, you know, spend it all in one candy store, right? This blessing that God pronounces, this joy that he gives in relationship to, to life and circumstance and situation because he's the king is eternal. It doesn't fade. It doesn't wear off. It's not like I got a pair of J's and I scuff them and they crease up and then all of a sudden I got to get a new pair because they don't look so shiny no more. Right? This blessing is eternal. It says, and because it is Jesus pronouncing it, the judgment stands true no matter what the world says. You know how many friends I said, Mike, you're nuts. Why would you let somebody treat you like that? I said, brother, you don't understand the kingdom. You don't get it. I mean, I'm not a pushover. I'm not a mat. Like, I'm not just going to let somebody punch you in the face six times. They get two times, right? No. <laughs> But it's true. The world may say all kinds of things counter to what we're going to study through as we go through these Beatitudes. The problem is their king, their decree is temporary. Their life is limited. They're like the chaff that's driven in the wind. Here today, gone tomorrow. They're like the wild, you know, the, the grass of the field. The sun comes, dries it up, it gets scooped up and thrown in the oven. It's not here anymore. So though the world may have opinions and ideas on what blessedness really looks like. Look, I know a lot of rich people who are not blessed. Amen. You may say they are because they got stuff. I heard a phrase one time and I never forgot it. It says some people are so poor all they have is money. We don't think that way. The world doesn't tell you. Hey, man, you know, they get up there. They got six Bentleys, 15 houses. Let me thank God first. I'm thinking I wouldn't want a second of what you're thanking God for. Right? So, so what's interesting is because Jesus is the one pronouncing it, he's the king of the universe, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, so glory God the Father. There's nobody going to glory in his sight. It really doesn't matter what the naysayers say nowadays. Amen. Jesus says, no, if you're, if you're bearing under this and going through these things as we navigate through this, then I'm saying you're blessed. You have something that they don't have. There's a joy. Jesus would say that no man can take from you. It is the opposite of the world's happiness. So understand, you hit the lottery, you're happy for a second, right? You're maybe for more than a second. If we like, depend on how much money, right? I guess. <laughs> but that's the deal. Happiness is predicated on its circumstance. You could have a million dollars and lose your spouse. Does that help? No, it hurts. It's not eternal. The value of it, the substance of it fades away in light of eternal things like death. 
So what's interesting about these pronouncements of blessedness in relationship to situations is that they're complete opposite of what the world judges as happy. It's not the joy that God is offering. It's not the thing we're going to be looking at. He's here today, gone tomorrow. You know, riches make like wings and fly. But what Christ gives is eternal. The root of this blessedness is eternal in nature and in authority. So not only is the value of it permanent, but the giver of it is supreme. Not only is the value of it permanent, but the giver is supreme. You understand that? You know what it is. Somebody wants to give you something. You're like, what's the deal? <laughs> you got like a like, what's the angle? What are you trying to? It's always that in this world. It's always that. He's the perfect giver. Nothing. He wants everything for each of us. Jesus would say in John chapter 16, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. Verses 19 through 23, it says, Now Jesus knew that they had desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while you'll not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament but the world's going to rejoice. Again, there's that idea. And you will be sorrowful, but, but lament. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Jesus says, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice and your joy nobody will take from you. That's the blessedness that we're talking about here in this verse. So let me read the first beatitude, which is what we're going to be doing tonight. And I think it'll be a little bit shorter tonight, but it says this. So verse 2 says, Then he, Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's knock some ideas out of the park first. What it doesn't say. Right? It's important. Because some people get like all these ideas. It doesn't say you need to deprive yourself of of things in this world and give until you're poor and burn out all your resources because you want the kingdom of heaven. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that you need to beat yourself and cause harm to yourself because your flesh is evil and you need to make it depraved and, and make yourself poor so that you can inherit the kingdom. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that if God has given you a position in life of, of success or notoriety or influence, that that's a bad thing, and because you have it, you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. doesn't say that. You can fill in the blank. I'm thinking of a hundred different things, what it doesn't say. The problem is if we don't study, right? I, I hope every one of you grabs Bibles when you come here and you study to show yourself approved. It's important to understand what things don't say so you can understand the fullness of what they do say. If God has given you a lot in life, use it for his glory. If God has given you position in life to change other people's lives, use it for his glory. 
If God has given you a low place in life, in this world. I, I used to joke, I never know how I got to where I'm at. Just obeying God, basically. But we used to play this game called Payday. I don't know if you ever played it. It's basically like a month. You're like a human, and you go through the month, and you get bills, and you, you know, it's like the game of life, but in months. And so I used to play my wife, myself, a friend, two friends of mine, and they both had jobs where they were making like six figures, and I was making like $26,000 a year. So they would obviously come over and pay for the pizza and rent this, you know, that was what would happen. But I, we would get to the end of the game, and I would always have no money. <laughs> and they would always have all the money. And I go, this is what life really looks like, you know? But, but you know what? In that place with my wife and I, God used that. We were able to glorify God with what we had, right? So, so it's not a negative response. It's not blessed are the poor in spirit, and by way of getting there, you need to make yourself poor and depraved. That's foolish, what it says is, the first part of that is, is blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and I was trying to figure out, how am I going to put this into words? Because I read somebody else. I just want to read what they say to you guys. Because they did a perfect shot at it. And I think it's important for us to, to take a look at this first one. Because the poor in spirit really sets the tone for a believer's life. Because it's the, it's the literal attitude of repentance. It's the heart's position of repentance is what it is. So let me read to you what he says, and I'll break it down to you. But think of that in your mind first. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So there's a blessing attached to being poor in spirit. So he says this. The word is derived from a verb which signifies cringing and crouching like a beggar. You say, Mike, you just said it wasn't all that. Hold on. It is stronger than poor. It's cringingly beggarly poor. So blessed are the poor but the context is in spirit. Understand? It says, we do not regard the dative, and it goes back and forth. He says, the poverty here referred to is not one against which the will rebels. So it's not like saying, God, you want me to be this way, and I don't want to be that way. It's not what it says. It says that the poverty that's referred to here is not in which the will rebels, but one under which the will bows in deep submission. So the poorness in spirit is a willful act. It's saying, God, I got no ideas left. I've, you know, I, there's an old worship song that says, I've searched and came up empty. This world has nothing for me. It's that idea in your heart. It's not saying, God, you're telling me this. I really, you know, it's like you tell your kids to take the trash out and they drag the trash bag from the trash can to the curb. You're like, well, I know you could pick it up. Why'd you do that? Because they don't actually want to do it, right? That's not what it's talking about here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The blessedness pronounced from heaven in relationship to being poor in spirit is an act of the will. It's saying to God, you know what? And I love this picture. I'll keep reading for you. It is more than a state or condition. It is also an attitude of the soul over against God. It is the attitude that grows out of the profound realization of utter helplessness and beggary as far as any ability or possession of self are concerned. So it's, you ever hear that phrase, are you done with yourself? It's coming to that place daily. <laughs> You're like, I did that. When? I was trying to do that while we were worshiping. Lord, I'm, I, I don't, I, I don't want to. I need you to say something to them. I got nothing. They don't want to see me up there with my hands wagging and all this stupid stuff. Lord, speak to them. Say something. 
These wretched beggars bring absolutely nothing to God but their complete emptiness and need and stoop in the dust for pure grace and mercy only. That's why I said money is irrelevant. There are men who are worth a billion dollars and will not raise their will against God. There's men worth a billion dollars who don't want anything to do with God. A man can be poor in spirit and worth all the money in the world. A man can be poor in spirit and worth no money in the world. Same blessedness. Unbelievable. Same pronouncement and gift and decree from the same king. Same way. A man can be poor in this world and, be, and, and also be proud in spirit. He can have all of the outward things that you should say, man, he should really bend under the hand of God at this point. And not. And not. He says, this is the condition and attitude here of true repentance. He says, the astonishing thing is that Jesus should pronounce people such as this, blessed, fortunate, in the highest degree. When the king is saying, you're blessed, the place from which all blessing flows, guess what? You're blessed. Might not feel like it, right? You're like, yeah, Mike, I hear you. God told me to bow under, and I'm in a low place right now. You say, that's all right. The king knows better. That's why he's the king. He says this, Pharisees and Sadducees and the world generally would do the very opposite of these things we're going to read. But the coin of all such, he says, is a counterfeit and never passes with God, who accepts no coin from men but only beggars, empty hearts, and hands. That's this poor in spirit. You, you see the world, you think they're winning like Asaph in the Psalms where he says, man, the, the righteous are being blessed and prospering. and the, I mean, the wicked are being blessed and prospering and the righteous, they're just suffering. It says, but then he went in the house of the Lord and then he considered their end. It all made sense. He wanted to say something, right? He wanted, and he said, man, I would have caused the people of God to slip. But when he saw the bigger picture like the king sees, he's thinking, no, for a moment. They feel that way. For a moment, they have those things. But then comes the greater reality. Then comes eternity. And in light of that, we're blessed. We really are. I mean, I, we were driving in the van. And I don't know who I was talking to. And I just shake my head. They're like, what's up? So I feel like I blink and a month goes by. Like, I don't know if you guys checked the calendar. It's March 5th. That's strange to me. I was planning for like January 6th, two days ago, I thought. And like, shoo, right? We hold on because it's so permanent, it feels. It says, and thus it is not at all astonishing that such beggars stooping before God are blessed. Because they're at the feet of the one in which all blessing flows. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In this sense, and the grammar reads, theirs alone. No other, there's not some other way, right? Jesus says if anybody comes in any other way as a thief and a robber, he's not going to inherit the things that belong to the children of God. So though somebody might try to, to clamor and show and prove how much joy and happiness and things and possessions and position and experiences and all this other stuff, if it's not Christ that they're stooping before, God doesn't accept it. It's nothing to him. The second part is... It says for, the word is because. <laughs> the poor in spirit are blessed because, it says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
So let me read. It says the text read is. Is equals now. It's not just a future tense. Yes, I know you're going to, you know, that idea, though the sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. It would be like saying, no, though the sorrow lasts for the next 86 years, joy comes after that. <laughs> That's not what we're told. There's his, his mercy is new every morning. The things of the kingdom are, are daily and new to us here on the earth and forever permanently in the kingdom. It says this, but this is contrary to all that the gospel reveals concerning God when people say, no, no, it's only in the heaven, right? No, that's not these blessednesses or you go through all these things, then on the other side, that's where you're blessed. That's contrary to everywhere in the scripture. It says, Jesus saw the people as a sheep without a shepherd, knew they were hungry, and so he essentially fed them. He gave them their need now. He didn't say to the blind guy, believe in me, and when you die, because you believe in me, you'll get sight. He said, right now, the inference in the kingdom and the work of the kingdom was here on the earth while he was here. And the continuation of that was the Holy Spirit that was given in the church of Christ. <coughs> God's still on the move. His kingdom's still around. It's you and I. That's unbelievable. But it says the kingdom must not be taken in the sense of an outward realm. Like some churches have done. Yes, God meant we're going to build the kingdom right here, right now. It says, this kingdom of the heavens centers on the king, Jesus Christ, and in the powers of grace, might, and glory that go out from him. Where he is, there the kingdom is because he exercises grace and power. The rich and proud in spirit resist that exercise as it would work in and over them for salvation. So the, 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 the proud and the haughty person doesn't want anything to do with that kingdom. The poor in spirit has long departed from proud and haughty. He realizes his need, his depravity. He realizes emptiness. He, you know, I was talking with Timmy on the way down. It's amazing. The, the, the picture is really a beggar who's asking for money with his hands raised up to heaven, and he has nothing. I don't know about you guys. I've been in that place plenty of times in my walk with the Lord. Wet face to the ground, raising my hands. God, anything. Tell me. What do you want me to do? And I don't get it perfect. I'm not saying I'm that way every day. But that's the attitude of repentance, that poor in spirit. And what's beautiful about it is you inherit the things of the kingdom here and there. You're blessed because. The king is pronouncing a blessedness upon you and giving you things. You blew it today? You sinned last week? Grace and mercy. Because he's the king and he says so. You know what it is. You got friends who love the Lord and friends who don't. You blew it? They say, look, I knew it, you scumbag. I knew. I was just waiting for you to do that. Just to prove it to you. You're believing, friends? Well, it's all good. God still loves us. That's why he gave his son. Those are the things of the kingdom. He says, the poor in spirit cry out for that exercise of saving grace and help. It is impossible that the king should let them go on crying. He at once fills their hands and their hearts. I won't read everything else. He says, whatever he may have in store for them in the future. I love this. 
already now he has in vast abundance. So he's not like building up a surplus to get to the place like, okay, I knew I was bringing 5,682,976,432 people, so I really need to get my reserve stock in place to be able to give to them lavishly like I promised that I would. He's not in the process of building up in order to give at a later date. He already has all those things that we have need of in vast abundance. Right? Lord, open the storehouses of heaven. You find out real fast in times of need that things really don't mean anything. I remember laying in bed. I felt like I was dying. And all I could say was, mercy, Lord. Mercy. God, I don't know what else to say. Please, mercy. And he, like, crazy. Like in three minutes, touched my body. Changed where I was at at that moment. Thinking I'm going to die. I can't do this, Lord. Mercy, please. You don't owe me anything. Please, mercy. In my marriage. God, I, I can't do it anymore. Please do something. Years of difficulty. Just was poor in spirit. Had nothing left. God, do something. He saved my wife. <laughs> I didn't think that. I was just like, all right, Lord, just make her like me or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> Those are the riches that we have access to. That's the reason that we're blessed. When we're done with ourselves, when we come to the end of ourselves, that's daily. You know what it is. You got a great day spiritually, then the next day, you're like, what happened? <laughs> Why am I still here? You know what I mean? <clears throat> In eternity, that's once and for all what I read out of Revelation 21. We don't have to do that anymore. While we're here on the earth, and it's great that that's first in order, it's maintaining that heart cry, the attitude of repentance inwardly. Lord, I'm a poor man. Honestly, I'm a beggar. I don't have... You ever hear somebody say the definition of the kingdom is one beggar telling another beggar where the bread's at? That's what it is. Lord, keep me in a place of beggarliness and, and, and need for you. I don't want to continue on in this anymore. So the question for you guys. Are you poor in spirit? Most of us could answer poor in wallet, right? <laughs> Are you poor in spirit? That's to the believer. What's interesting, there was a crowd of unbelievers standing there listening. They were like, wait a minute. What is he talking about? Poor in spirit. Conviction, deep. Thinking, Man, all I do is think about myself all day. Because there was a crowd of disciples and there was a multitude. And he was speaking to the disciples first. And the multitude was listening. So the bigger question outside of are you as disciples poor in spirit is, is if you're sitting in here as tonight as a multitude, do you even know the one in whom you need to be poured towards? Whom all blessing flows from?